Over Under Productions, the views expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of this station, its management, or Beasley Media Group. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen, powered by Eli K25. We are thrilled to join you on WWDB 860 AM and 97.5 HD2, part of the Beasley Media Group, ready to help you move your weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, what a time to do a sports radio show in Philadelphia, man. <laughs> everything, went, everything was good until Brady started talking. Yeah, we're going to have to get into to what Gritty's doing uh, a little bit later. We'll we'll get to that shortly. We'll start. Yeah, why, don't, why, don't, why don't we talk to the guy who's going to be the bearer of the best news in the city, the one team that doesn't seem to be able to win at the beginning, in, in, at least in the last week. Keith. So uh, Keith uh, Pompey from uh, the Inquirer is here to join us and tell us why it's going to get better. You know, I mean, I, I think right now, when, when you look at the 76ers, um, you know, they played the two best teams in the East right now. I mean, I understand that those teams are undermanned. So, you know, it, it, the, the showings weren't that good when you consider that, right? But at the same time, I, I think that, you know, this is a, a tough test for seven games for them. And then after that, it's going to get a little bit easier. I mean, I like, here, let's be real. The Sixers aren't like the favorite to win a championship. Um, they're probably third or number four in the East. I think that those two teams that they played right now, these are good barometer games and you have 80 games left to see what you can do. Now, if come January and we're still seeing these same problems, then we really have a problem. But right now, you just look at it and you can say, look, this is what you need to do. They still have an open roster spot. So I think that they're <laughs> they're not going to have an open roster spot by season's end. So, I mean, I I just think that it's still early and, and things could get better. Well, of course it's early, but my concern is not necessarily um, in that what the open ro- roster spot is. My concern is, is that everybody seems to be standing around now and watching James Harden. Max, he doesn't seem to be getting the ball as much and is just kind of standing off the one side. And Embiid doesn't seem to, you know, you wrote a story today about how Embiid doesn't seem to be going down in the block again. And what's the story without, with, let's start with Embiid. Why is he not going in the block again? You know, it's funny, like today it comes out, you know, they had practice and, and Doc mentions a, a minor foot injury and that messed up his condition. Um, you know, the only thing is I don't like is that the fact it came out the morning or afternoon after MB's getting criticized for, you know, bad body language for when he doesn't want to speak to the media, when, you know, it, it seems like it makes you think that you're using this as an excuse so people don't turn on him. I think that right now, when you look at Joel Embiid's role, it's different. You know, before he was a ball ball dominant big man, he got the ball, he had as many touches as he wants. And now, like you said, you got a guy like James Harden, who's extremely ball dominant and people watch. And I think that, you know, if Joel Embiid is gonna be honest with everyone, he's probably gonna say, He's getting a little frustrated with his role a little bit. Like he wants the ball. He wants to touch it. Now, again, there is probably publicly one of those things where everyone's going to deny it and say everything's great. But to me, that's what it looks like is, you know, how are we going to work this thing out? Another thing is when you look at this offense, the way it's being ran with Joel, they want Joel to do pick and rolls. Joel looks awkward doing that. He looks like he's never done that before, like roll into a basket. You know, the spacing is non-existent because it looks more like he's trailing James Harden 
you know, waiting for him to just toss it to him. Um, so I, I think that, you know, either they're going to abort that tactic or they're just going to have to work on it hard. They're going to have to get it right because it looks bad. You know, Maxi. you know, we talk about Maxi. I, th I think the thing with Maxi is, is like, you know, he needs the ball in his hands as well. He needs the ball in his hands. He needs to, you know, do what they wanted Ben Simmons to do, get and turn the game into a track meet, make it ugly, go in there and, and get layups, do things like that, you know, uh, transition three-pointers. But when you have, when, when you're like in a half-court set, it kind of takes away a lot of his explosiveness. You got four guys already behind you or in front of you, and you're trying to maneuver. And, and I think that those are the two main problems that the Sixers are are having thus far. You know, we we look at it as a problem, but also the good side is that Harden has looked good. He's averaging 33 points, shooting almost 60%. He had a game-high 31 the other night. In your mailbag, somebody asked you, and you wrote, this is becoming James Harden's team. But that wasn't a knock at Joel Embiid. Can you talk about the transition and the personalities on this team. Yeah. And, and, and what I mean, cause you know, when you look at a guy like James Harden, he's, you know, a bachelor, you know, he's a, a guy like that. He, um, he, he basically, he, he, he he's, a, he's the type of dude that he, he wants everyone around. He wants to do team function. He wants them like uh, Kevin Hart had a concert, a, co a comedy thing. And James and all the majority of the players were there. I mean, at that in the picture that I saw, there were 20 guys in training camp at that time. 18 of them were there. Joel Embiid wasn't there. And the thing about Joel Embiid is, you know, if you know Joel, he's kind of sort of like a homebody. He's the type of guy who likes playing, um, being around his son and being with his fiance. For him, that is the perfect evening being with his fiance and being around his kid. So, but the thing is, so when you look at a guy like James, he's not only is he organizing the stuff, he's often paying for the stuff. So you get these guys and a lot of them, I mean, I wish I could say making $1.7 million wasn't a lot of money. Just 1.7. Yeah, we're just 1.7. <laughs> but, you know, when you, when, when, when you have a guy who's making what James is and he's taking care of everything, yeah, he's going to be a leader. Another thing that he does is when they're at practice and they're doing a rep and he doesn't like that rep, he does not like the tempo, he'll stop practice and demand that they do it over again. You know, he, he will. You know, he's that guy and he's always yelling encouraging words. He's doing a lot of different things. So for when you, when you say that, Joel Embiid is going to be a leader because he leads by example. He's the best player. James Harden is a leader because he's demanding stuff from teammates. He's being the vocal leader, but also he's making sure that they get together off the court and, and, and do things. You know, all I kept hearing, all I heard as you were saying that was how James Harden paying for everything. And I'm still owe me a Michelob Walter or two. Okay. All right. Let's so, get... <laughs> so, I don't know what's going on. I guess you're not making as much as I thought you were. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm making hot nickels hot nickels they're hot too you got to melt them down <laughs> so, so with those hot nickels you're, you're going to these games and you see you know look people are i understand what you're saying that they play the two best teams but you got to beat the best teams if you want to be the best team 
and Embiid comes out in the second half and goes, what, 0 for 7? How does that happen when he's playing inside? I saw him getting getting squared up with Grayson Allen at times. What is Joel Embiid doing? Am I missing something that he just doesn't seem to be in sync with everybody else? You know, to me, uh, you know, it looked to me that he wasn't mentally engaged in the second half. I mean, because if you looked at it, like you said, he had Grayson Allen. Um, I, I'm not, I don't remember if Grayson was guarding him on this play or not, but there was one play where he drives the lane and basically any other year he would have taken it out. And when instead of that, like I me mean, taking it up, but instead of that, he like zips a pass to Tyrese Maxey at the three and the ball goes off of Maxey's fingertips. However, the ref said it went off someone else and it saved it. So I just feel like that, you know, he missed a couple shots. The crowd was booing a little bit. I just felt like he wasn't mentally in this state of mind that he normally is in. You know what I mean? I just felt that way, that he just wasn't. Um, you know, I, I think that, like, again, you, you there, this is something new. You know, last year, James came in. Um, they, they were trying to assimilate James. But now I think they're trying to get them to meet in the middle a little bit. And, you know, it's, sometimes it's kind of hard. It's, it's like, you know, you're used to doing something one way and then all of a sudden, and you're having success doing it that way. And then all of a sudden you want to switch up things. And and I, I think it's going to be one of those things where it's just going to take a little bit. Wait, but you said something a little troubling to me. All we've heard, especially with the Phillies for the last week, is how the Philly fans are building up this team and giving them confidence and they're feeding off of that. This was the home opener against the Milwaukee Bucks. How is Joel Embiid not feeling it? I mean, I don't know. I think, you know, if, you know, this isn't the first time that I've seen Joel this way. I mean, it's just not. I mean, we've seen it before. I feel like when you're the, when you're the, the two-time runner-up for the MVP and everything is fed off of you, and then you have to adjust the plan with a new style. See, there's a point in time when he knew he was going to get the ball. He knew he was going to get X amount of touches. So there was times where when they were at their best, they ran the offense through him, and then he was the quarterback on the gym, feeding different teammates, either dribble handoffs or, or guys at the three-point line, right? Now, all of a sudden, you don't know you're getting the ball, and, and you got to play off another player. And it's kind of sort of, I hate to say it, it's kind of like, and I'm not comparing them to this, but it's kind of like Michael Jordan and you say, okay, Mike, you're going to a different team, but now all of a sudden you got to be the second fiddle and do this. It, 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 it takes some adjusting to do it. Now, although they are saying he's still the first fiddle, but James Harden is the one averaging 33 points. James Harden is the one who is extremely ball dominant and always has the ball in his hands. So I feel like with Joel, it's like there's some uncertainty. Before he knew he was going to get it. And then in the fourth quarter, it was a matter of let me take over this game and win it. Now it's like, am I going to get the ball or not? So I think they're just trying to go through this adjustment phase. You know, while they're going through the adjustment phase, I know they got a lot of new players, but that's led to some defensive struggles and lapses. They're allowing some 
wide open three-pointers, frankly, mostly wide open. The Celtics and Bucks combined to attempt 77 threes, making 25. They were lucky that Milwaukee only hit 13 of 42. They had been blown out of the gym. Can you talk about the adjustments on defense and what this team's trying to figure out out there? Yeah, and, and that's crazy too, right? Because the way it is. And I, I think the problem that we have on the defensive end is, you know, when we look at Tyrese Maxey and James Harden, we think of them as guys getting buckets. We don't talk about them being defenders, right? So it's a lot of, so what they want to do is the Sixers are, their, their defense is predicated on switching and doing all this other stuff. So it takes a lot of communication. Everyone has to have their head on a swivel because next thing you know, like somebody's wide open. And as one of the players told me was in the past, when you play, when you're doing this, you're always, you see a guy, like if you're a power forward, you see the opposing power forward or whoever it is, the guy you're guarding, you spot them, you spot that person up and you just run towards him, wherever he is. Well, he says, but while you're running towards that guy, you got to look back because there's somebody probably wide open and you got to switch off real quick. And I think the, the communication and lack thereof is leaving guys wide open. And another thing is when we think about this, they came out there and they said they were going to get these defenders. But none of these defenders, perimeter defenders, are in the starting lineup. You have Joel Embiid and you have P.J. Tucker, right? You know, P.J. Tucker is 37 years old. He He's 6'5", but he's more like in the mode of a power forward. But you want him to run out there and guard these three-point-making guys. So, or Tobias Harris. So I, I feel like you know, that's the problem that they're having right now is that, you know, you want to stagger things, but at the same time, when you look at the starting lineup, it's kind of sort of like, you know, you're, you're, you're basically giving the other team a head start. Like, okay, we know you're going to get some threes early on, but don't worry, we're going to bring our guys in at the six minute mark and we're going to try to like stop the bleeding a little bit. Well, one of the guys you, that you don't see coming in the game is Matisse Thibault. Is his time done here? I'm I'm starting to think it is. I mean, it has to be because, you know, the, the thing about it is, is like, you know, you go from playing 23 seconds one game to seven seconds the next. You know, it, it's like, you know, it, it's okay. Well, it's the end of the quarter. We're going to do offense, defense. Come on in. And it's, and it's kind of sort of like yesterday when he came in and played for, you know, a quick, a quick, like, play. Like, as soon as the, the buzzer sounded, like he knew he was out. Like he basically, normally guys go and they walk to the bench and it's kind of like, but they're near like the bench area where everybody seated at and they're hovering and they're surrounding them. Nah, he walked to the end of the bench. Like knowing like, okay, I just went in for spot duty. I, I, I think, yeah, when you when you do that, it, it not only are, is that a sign that you're done, you could be done, but it's also a sign that, um, I mean, it's also like something that's really disheartening. Like, you know, like like Joel, we're saying Joel doesn't know his role. To me, if, if you're playing 23 seconds, seven seconds, you really don't know your role. Now, again, if they continue, if they continue to give up as many threes as they are, the Sixers are, are not going to have any choice but to play Matisse Thibel. Now, if you really want to trade Matisse Thibel, it's hard to trade a guy when he's only played 30 seconds combined of action in two games. Like, what well, he's, fra he's fresh. 
<laughs> yeah, but man, I mean, I was like, look, dude, I'll give you three G Leaguers and uh um and 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 twenty thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars. Come on, man. Like, no. And Doc has stressed that the rotation remains fluid, but you can see, at least from these first couple games, guys that have been here, they ain't getting the run. Shake Milton, not getting in. Furkan Korkmaz, not getting in. Matisse Dybel, not getting in. It seems like they're going to Montrez Harrell over Paul Reed when they're looking for the backup center. And then you've got House and Melton seem to be the guys that they're turning to off the bench. Is that what this rotation is shaping up like? The, the yeah. guys that have been here just can they, – they do have a role. It's at the end of the bench at this point. Yeah, yeah. You know what Doc is doing, Doc being lawyered up, certainly for the same, but that's what he's doing. Hey, hey, like, hey. like what he's what he's takes offense to that, Keith. <laughs> oh, he does. Oh. <laughs> that's why he said it. I know. <laughs> so anyway, so like so now what he's doing is it's one of those things where, you know, Doc knows that if you if you say, Okay, right now these guys are out of the rotation and I have these new guys then that's a way of you can lose certain players. You know what I mean? Like, you know, Shake Milton could say, look, dude, why did y'all bring me back? Why did you pick up that option? I could have been a free agent. I could have gone to maybe Oklahoma City close to home or going somewhere else where where, where I know I was going to play. And then maybe take a one-year deal or two-year deal and then try to test the market elsewhere. Furkan Korkmaz, you said you were trying to trade me. Well, why didn't you trade me? The same thing for Matisse. Like, whoa, may, maybe Portland would have been great for me right about now. So what you do is you always say that it's fluid. We haven't decided. You know, we got different guys, this and that. But I think that, you know, what we saw the first two games and what we're going to see, the guys who are going to play a lot off the bench, at least right now until something changes, are going to be um, uh, Daniel House Jr., Anthony Melton, um, George Niang, and then they're going to go with the backup centers, whoever's hot at times. But those are the guys. And then you might see Matisse sprinkled in for seconds. But um, but outside of that, I mean, that's their rotation. They're going to have like a nine to ten man rotation. And but the, the three guys who are definitely going to play are going to be George Niang, uh, Anthony Melton, and Daniel House Jr. All right. Well, we got we got two minutes left. The thing to talk about now is really who's hot and who's hot as far as we're concerned is Saquon Barkley and, and the New York Giants. I could care less. So yeah. so, so <laughs> how, how are you feeling with the Giants being five and one and and how are you feeling that when they face the Eagles, they're going to be ready? Wait, before that, they're underdogs this week. And, and nobody, asked, nobody, nobody asked you. We were talking. They've been <laughs> underdogs every week too, though. They're a five and one team. How are they underdogs against the? Well, you know how I'm feeling. Jeff. Remember a couple times last time I was on here, Jeff was like, "Hey, I'll bet you the six Giants win six games." I was like, uh-huh. oh, he was oh. going off Alf Candy Pickett's hand size. I remember that. Hey, I, I will bet though. you the Giants win at least six games this year. <laughs> Well, here's my thing, though, what I don't get. You two have been talking to me about how you've got, like, trash cans for offensive linemen. So how you do this right now? (laughs) Still do. Like, I I told you after the first game, I thought what Brian Dable did to get buy-in was really important with how he approached that first game. And it seems like this team really bought into what your coach is doing there now. Yeah, they have. And also, they got Saquon, too. I mean, Saquon is is finally looking like Saquon that we thought he was going to be. And I, I think that helps out a lot. But, yeah, the buy-in is there. 
Um, I mean, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you look at teams and you say to yourself, there's no way they're going to win this game. And then they come back and they do the things like oh, each one is like a miracle. Like it's something like, okay, they're going to lose this game because a guy's going to kick a field goal. Well, he missed the field goal or they're going to do this, you know? So it's kind of like, I like seeing stuff like that because that that's a confident group. They play throughout the game. And some people might say they're lucky, but at the same time, when it happens, you know, five weeks, it is not luck. Well, Keith, Jeff can say he's a Giants fan, but ask him where he was last Sunday night and what song got stuck in his head after going to that football game in Philadelphia last week. Oh, really? You were singing uh, Die Eagles Die? Uh, I I have a son who's an Eagles fan. (laughs) I I still have to be a good dad every once in a while. Yeah, but you don't have to sing Fly Eagles Fly in your head the next day. Keith, we know you got to run on us. Uh, You have a good one, man. Thanks for always dropping. And uh, let's hope the Sixers play a little bit better after this uh, early start. Yeah, we'll see. But all right, thanks for having me, fellas. Take it easy, man. Peace. Jeff, I saw you were going to let him out of there without talking about your Eagles experience the other night. I wasn't going to mention it. You weren't going to mention it. No. Uh, Look, it is a... a Look, last weekend was, if you're a Philadelphia sports fan, a perfect sports weekend. You had... Especially for you. Well, yeah, I was at all four of them, but... I want to talk about that. Okay. So, so we went, brought my son flew into town from Colorado, um, was supposed to just go to the Eagles Cowboys game and somehow ended up at two playoff games, a, a Flyers game and an Eagles game. And somehow they won all four of them. And you sent me the picture. You were like next to the penalty box for the Flyers game. You, you know, you're in the building for everything that's going on. You, you've got a little earworm of fly Eagles fly after Sunday night cheering <sighs> off the Eagles against Dallas. Was that hard for you? Yeah. Well, you you know, I do have to say that the Philly Phillies games, you expect to hear way too often the Eagles chant. And you didn't hear that except when they showed Sirianni and except when they showed Lurie. That was I, the only time people were. So I, I got to tell you, I have been for the last 15 years at almost every major Phillies game. And other than the Roy Halladay, no hitter in the playoffs, I have never heard Citizens Bank Park that loud as game three of the NLDS never I think it's really cool you mentioned Sirianni being at the stadium I love how all the teams are kind of doing stuff together you've got Jim Curtin and Alejandro Bedoya at the Sixers practice talking to Embiid you've got Embiid at the Eagles Dallas game on the field you've got NFL guys Jeffrey Laurie was there in Middleton's box watching the game I enjoy that our sports teams are supporting each other while they're doing it. The Flyers showed the end of the Phillies game on their big screen during mm-hmm. the Flyers game. For the- they showed when I, so I walked over right, as soon as the Phillies game was over, game four was over. I walked over to the Wells Fargo center and they were showing the celebration on the scoreboard between the second and third period. Yeah. I just think that that is really, really cool that we have that with these teams. Now we'll get to the, the game tonight. We've got Tom house, Nick coming up at four forty. We'll talk a lot more Phillies. Um, I didn't want to ask Keith about it because you know, he's a real reporter, but I, I do have to ask you about it um, <laughs> as somebody that's not a real reporter. Uh, yeah. Rest in peace. Frosty freeze out, Jeff. Hello, brick. And oh, come chicken. on. Do we really have to talk about this? People went crazy for the chicken. What do you mean, last night. What do you mean people went crazy for the chicken? When Giannis missed the two free throws, people went crazy because they get free Chick-fil-A chicken now. 
I, I see. I don't. I don't particularly get it. Our but but our I was, board I, off was there. He was probably going crazy for his no, no, chicken hold, too. Hold on. So so I I got to tell you. I th- I always thought the frost. I'm not into marketing. You are, but the, I thought the frosty freeze out was genius. Yes. But but I do have to tell you when you told me about the Chick Fil A thing, <laughs> there there is a a group of people, and I know some, who uh, worship the whole Chick Fil A thing. And so wondering. I can imagine that that would be very exciting for those people who are loyalists to Chick-fil-A. I'm not one of them, but for those people, and you know who you are. Look, my sister-in-law would probably be a very exciting thing for you. Come to her wedding. They are very excited about But what is it? What is it called now? Brickin for chicken. Yeah, see, it just doesn't have the same ring. Well, you're going to have to get used to it because that's the way marketing and branding goes, right? Oh, so when Ben Simmons comes to town, if he plays now, Chick-fil- the Chick-fil-A crowd will be very excited about it. Oh, they'll be very excited, especially if you saw how he played for the Nets the other night. <laughs> I thought he turned a corner. I don't know what happened. He just keeps <laughs> turning the same corner, going in circles. Exactly. He All we heard in the offseason was how much better he was going to be. And don't worry about the videos that we keep seeing of him bricking shots. But somehow, well, the season was going to start, and he was going to be perfectly fine. And and it, unless my math is wrong, Ben Simmons had more personal fouls than he had points. Yeah, it was not the debut that he which, was looking which, for. Which one, one other thing about that, in the preseason, Ben Simmons was fouling out of games, and they were joking about it. Do yeah. you remember that? Well, they, and, don't, they don't need him to shoot. That's what Steve Nash said. Apparently, they don't need him to play because it, they thought it was a joke that he was fouling out. And what he what people don't understand in preseason games is refs are working on their game, too, and making sure that they call things a certain way as the league, whatever league they're in, tells them to do it. And Ben Simmons thought it's funny and the coach thought it was funny. Well, apparently, whatever Ben's doing playing defense, he better start adjusting because otherwise he's going to be sitting on the bench because of fouls not because he's afraid to shoot all right i'm gonna leave the basketball there i want to get some soccer talk in before we move to our baseball you want to talk about defense uh for the goalkeeping is what you want to talk the 16th time in 36 games the union's defense delivered a shutout in the playoffs last night four fantastic saves from andre blake who this week won goalkeeper of the year for the third time they win one nothing in regulation on a goal by Leon Flock in the 59th minute. Jeff, how unlikely was he of a goal scorer in 78 previous games for the Union? He had registered just one goal and three assists. It was a great goal. I mean, yeah. but but the story of that game is what we talked to JP about last week that I keep still shaking my head. Is seen Andre Blake seems to be like the greatest secret secret in sports. Is that somehow he's he's still in the MLS? And again, I'm not complaining. I love having him here. But he is just an exemplary goalie for a long period of time. I'm gonna need this you to stop third talking time. about him not being here. It scares me when you do that. Do not talk that into existence. Well, you, you have it, you have him at least through these finals. Do and, I know we're not this is saying, gonna be their year? I know we're not saying the the word that starts with J and ends in X anymore. But don't be a mush about this, please. Okay. Do, do not I, I do won't not say do. a word other than so, this this team finds ways to win and they can't lose if they don't give up goals. They just don't. It, it, they're historically good on defense with a historically good goalie. I did enjoy the diplomacy of Jim Curtin after the game, who clearly did not want to criticize the ref. 
but clearly wanted to criticize the ref who was calling his first playoff game as well. He whistled 23 fouls, 12 on the union, 11 on Cincinnati and gave six yellow cards, but there were a lot that weren't called. And he just seemed like he was overmatched. Curtin's comment was it was a big spot in the big moment, a big game for everyone, including the referee. It's his first playoff game. I think he could feel that as well. That's like <laughs> Jim Curtin as nice as possible saying, dude, you know really? what that is? That, that's a seasoned <laughs> coach who's found a smooth way to say everything. That's a, I'm only here so I don't get fined <laughs> right there. But you want to talk about, you know, you talk about the camaraderie in the city when these teams win and, and how everybody gets excited and into it. And like, here we are, we've got all five sports teams playing at the same time, like in the same week. But if you look at the makeup of this team, they're a United Nations. We've talked about it. They had starters in the game last night from Denmark, Argentina, Hungary, Venezuela, Germany, Cameroon, Norway, England, Jamaica, and the USA. And New Jersey. And well, that's in the USA, Jeff. I'm glad that we could bring the cartographer segment. I was trying to bring it a little bit closer to home. They will play next Sunday, either at 3 p.m. or 8 p.m. at Subaru Park, where they have only lost three home games since it became Subaru Park. So are they are they going to be allowed to go anywhere because of what ha- I mean, for people that don't remember, or didn't know what happened last year, they made it to the conference finals last year and half of their team, including, I believe, their goalie could not play in the game because they had COVID. They should all live in a bubble this week. Exactly. They, they go have, nowhere. They, they should not see each other. And there's a very good chance they're going to be playing the same team that they played last year. They so will, that it could be a revenge game. They will either play FC Montreal or get a chance for revenge here against NYCFC. Look, I think that if it's NYCFC, they probably have more likely to end up with the afternoon game as opposed to the 8 o'clock game. Montreal would be the top two seeds in the East. Uh, I don't know if you saw it last night. LAFC was playing the Galaxy out West, and it was 2-2 in extra time. And in the 93rd minute, LAFC scored to win the game. So they play the winner of Austin FC and FC Dallas. But if if LAFC loses and the Union win, you're one game away from a championship game at Subaru Park. If the Union win either way, you're one game away from playing for a league championship. You've You've got a soccer team in a championship series, a baseball team in a championship series, a football team that's currently undefeated, a basketball team that everybody thinks will be something, and a hockey team that is three and one, despite the fact nobody thought they'd even appear on the ice, including myself. Yeah, so. look, I, you, you, you wish the best for the Flyers, but as, as somebody, you just look out and there. You haven't bought in yet. <laughs> no, I haven't bought into it. Look, I still think Carter Hart could be a great goalie, but this team is not is not full of depth and great players. They're just not. And, and Tortorella will pull some magic out of that hat and then he'll alienate people. A, Unfortunately, a little... that's what he, I know that he says. I know he says that he's changing, but that leopard's not changing his spots. I don't think so either. Before we leave the MLS, I did want to say you have to see they're experimenting with referee body cams. You can see the dives like through the eye of the ref. And then the arguing afterwards, it's spectacular. You'll love it, Jeff. You will have a new appreciation for diving and arguing in soccer once they start. No, I will have less of an appreciation. Why don't we hit the break? When we come back, we'll talk more Phillies. And then Tom House Nick will join us to talk a little more baseball. Stick with us. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. 
They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Jeff, we mentioned the Eagles beat Dallas to go 6-0 and heading into the bye this week. In the expansion era, only 41 teams have started 6-0. and Only two have managed to miss the playoffs. They're on pace to be better than my 10-win prediction, which I'm totally cool with. Uh, tell me what you're seeing from this Eagles team as a non-Eagles fan and as somebody who was down there at the stadium the other night after a weekend of players and athletes recognizing the role that Philly fans were playing in the stadium with the noise and just how loud it was down there for the Eagles. It, it was loud. I mean, it's always loud down there. What, what, what I'm seeing from the Eagles, though, is first halves of dominance. It seems that their scripted plays, the game plan that they come out with, they're running to perfection. If you look at what they're, what they're doing in the first half, they are dominating teams. The problem is what's happening at the beginning of the second half. Yeah, they need it to seems, their plays in the third quarter. Well, that's, that's what's concerning is that it does seem like the other team is adjusting to the Eagles. Now, the Eagles are so far ahead in some of these games that they're able to overcome it, and then the Eagles are able to kind of put something together in the fourth quarter. Uh, there's nobody that was at that game that didn't think that the Cowboys were going to win towards the end of the third quarter. It was quiet. It was concerning. You could just you could hear the murmurs. Everybody was just getting a little bit tighter and a little bit tighter. And then what is twenty seventeen? And it and and it wasn't just that the Cowboys were coming back. It was the Cowboys were just running the ball down the Eagles' throat. And the Eagles' defensive line is supposed to be the strength of their defense, which is what you didn't see in the first half when they didn't allow Dallas to really do anything and had more takeaways. Look, this team has 14 takeaways now. It's the most in the league. It's a plus 12 they have by far the best turnover margin in the league. The next best team is a plus four. They've only got two turnovers all season. No other team has less than four. So Yeah, and the Cooper Rush bu- you know, magic bubble has burst. So you know he was turning the ball over. Lord knows what would have happened if Cooper Rush wasn't handing the ball to the Eagles. I appreciated that. I didn't yeah. mind it at all. But but the Eagles did, you know, when it got to the fourth quarter, when it got to crunch time, they were able to put it together, put a nice drive together, score again, and then stop the Cowboys. I just don't understand what happened with the Cowboys, that they figured out how to run and were running just dominantly in the third quarter and then somehow just stopped. Yeah, it, it didn't make sense to me. I mean, they got back to it in the fourth quarter, were able to have that long drive where Miles Sanders looked good. If you look ahead to their schedule coming out of the bye, in their final 11 games, they face only five teams who currently have a winning record. The Cowboys again, the Giants twice, the Titans, and the Colts. Everybody else is either at 500 or under 500. Six more teams that are under 500 or worse. I don't know where this team's going to end up, but the expectations are much higher than they were at the start of the season for lots of people. Okay, so the Eagles clear, in in my opinion, the Eagles right now are, are the top team in the NFC. The real dominance is in the AFC right now. That the Bills. there's more. Yeah, the, you have the Bills, you have the Chiefs, you have the Chargers. If they get healthy, there, that was there some are, game with the Bills and Chiefs last week. Yeah, they had the, the Dolphins. If Tua gets healthy, even teams like the Jets are playing really well. The, the AFC seems to have the strength this year, but the move that was made last night, I think, changes a lot. The 49ers have the maybe the best defense in the NFC. 
and now they have Christian McCaffrey. And how happy is Jimmy Garoppolo now that he wasn't traded? Look, it, it, people thought that Jimmy Garoppolo would end up with Christian McCaffrey, but in Carolina this season, they thought that the Niners would be making that trade. And, and look, the Niners are, are going all in. They traded their, they traded their two, three, and four next year, along with their fifth. And then after they traded the fifth, they've already traded their first rounder next year for Trey Lance. Now, if we're talking about draft picks, I have to do my weekly New Orleans watch for you, Jeff, since the Eagles own New Orleans first round draft pick. The Saints lost again last night to the Cardinals. They're now two and five. So if the season ended today, along with the Eagles being six and oh, they would have the number four pick in the draft separate from where they end up picking later at 31 because Miami doesn't have a pick in the look. The only New Orleans watch I care about is if you're flying me down there so I can eat. I understand. I don't really care about this. And, and, and look, I know people do, I know it's important to you, but but there's something going on in this city. That's going to be citizens bank park in a few hours is going to be rocking. So who better to have here to talk about it than Tom Tausnick. Tom, how are you doing? Good, sir. How are you guys doing? We're doing good. What's it like? Are you like a proud papa, somebody who saw this daycare come through the system? Ranger Suarez, the starter tonight. You've seen him come up uh, as a minor leaguer. Here these guys are as contributors in the National League Championship Series. He, he is one guy I can honestly say I had no idea this he had this in him. Um, completely fooled me. Um, he's just one of those guys that you think, okay, he's not bad. He could maybe be a fifth starter a little bit. And he's a lot more than that. So, you know, hats off to the Phillies for seeing something. And when they called him up the first time, you know, a few years ago, I was like, what are they thinking? But now we know what they're thinking. The guy's got some, some moxie. His stuff is not fantastic, but the guy knows how to pitch. And I'll take five of those guys anytime. Well, let's see. Yeah. Look, we know we have Wheeler and we have Nola, even though Nola didn't, didn't excel the other night, but, but beyond that, that's, you know, you have a seven game series ultimately if it, if it goes all the way ranger and possibly bailey falter those are not names as you watch them going through the system that these guys were going to potentially be your third and fourth starter in the if you ever made it to the nlcs that do you what are you expecting of ranger tonight and if bailey falter starts a game four what would you expect from him well let me go to, to bailey first he was one guy that i kind of liked um Again, it wasn't about his stuff. It was just about something internal. The guy just has that fight, that desire. I don't know what it is to put to put a finger on it, but it's one of those guys, when I saw him, I liked him. And I was kind of nervous that they Phillies were kind of jerking him around again like they've done with some players in the past and that they were going to kind of ruin the guy. But the guy's just tougher than anything they can put him through. So I'm, I'm not surprised that he's given this, given this opportunity. I think he's earned it. Um, so that being said about him, uh, I'm not sure what I would think of, of, of him pitching in the postseason. Ranger, I, I feel very good about. Um, again, I, the moment's not going to get too big for him. He's either going to make mis- mistakes with his pitches uh, that, that we've seen getting gotten hit you now at different times this year, or he's going to give him five good innings and they're going to be in position to take the series lead. You know, you talk about the moment not being too big. Bryson Scott, the moment has not been too big. He He's met the moment. He's been there. Uh, Alec Bohm, his defense at times, everybody always knew his defense would be questioned, but he's out there. What have you seen from these guys? It's their first experience on this big stage like this. Listen, they, they don't need Stott to be a hero. 
and they didn't need him to be a hero during the season. They just needed to let him play up there every day. And maybe by some circumstance, that's what ended up happening. I mean, were they going to keep him up there if there weren't injuries at the beginning of the year? I don't know. I don't think so. I think I was going to see him a lot more in AAA. But what happened is he stayed up there. Um, they let him play through the rough spots, which is what we've been saying about some other guys, some other young guys in the past. And he came through pretty good. You know, he's a tough kid. He has skills. He can play. He, I believe he's going to be a major leaguer for a while. Um, again, they don't, and I think he knows this. They don't need him to be a hero in the playoffs. They just need him to make the plays on defense, which, you know, he's only made one, I think, one mistake so far. And, you know, if he's given a time to shine on offense, you know, so be it. Um, but as we've seen in a lot of these postseason games, except a couple of Phillies games, you don't need a lot of runs to win games if you get good pitching. So I think he's in a good, good spot. There's not a lot of pressure on him. I don't think he's putting a lot of pressure on himself. And uh, I'm just happy to see that the guy's gotten through the whole season where he should have been all along. You know, we've heard in the last couple of days, we've heard Bryce Harper talk and tout that the organization and what they've done and bringing in Dombrowski and bringing in the people that they've brought in to, to handle the minors and the way that they're developing players now. You and I and Jason have talked in the past about Scott Kingery and how they mismanaged that. What what have you seen is the difference between just how they handled somebody like Scott Kingery and how they handled Bryson Stott? Well, I think it goes beyond just Stott this year. I think we can give the Phillies credit for a little more than just him. First of all, they could have still found a way to send him to AAA and play every day, or they could have given him that month where he really struggled, couldn't get over 200, and they could have sent him down again, and they kept him there. And I think they've, they've got to take, you know, Dombrowski's got to get some of the credit for that. Look, there were a lot of times in the past that would have been, you know, like a Mickey Mooniak, you're going back after 10 days. But they didn't do that, and they made the right call, whether Stott had the kind of second half that he had or not. They made the right call. But they also did the right call on, on, on guys like Veerling, on Maton, Hall, Guthrie, even Appel. These guys all deserve the opportunity to, to see if they could play at that level. And to different, to different extents, they all showed that they can play. I thought they kept Hall down too long in September, but they at least they gave him the shot and he showed them that, look, I can hit major league pitching. You know, now what next time he's up for an extended time, you see how pitchers adjust, et cetera. But he proved that he can, he belongs there. Matt Verling obviously belongs there. Nick Payton, for whatever reason, is a much better hitter in the majors than he is in the minors. But he is a valuable guy offensively. He can play a lot of positions on defense. Dalton Guthrie, if anybody plays harder than him, I haven't seen him in the Philly system in a long time. Love the kid. I'm thrilled he got an opportunity to play up there. Whether he gets another shot, I don't know. But he, again, showed that he belongs. The Phillies deserve credit for doing something they haven't done in recent years, which was give some of these younger guys a chance. Find out if they can play or not. And I go back to a guy from 2017, Joey Manessis, International League Player of the Year. Hit over 300, hit for power, hit for average, did everything. Never got a September call-up, and it was gone. You know, it goes overseas, comes back. The Nationals finally give him a chance because they have the fire sale. And the guy was one of the best hitters in the National League in the second, in the second half of the season, hitting over 300. The guy can hit. That was a mistake the Phillies made back then because they needed somebody like that back in 2017 and 2018. Now these guys that I just talked about, these guys needed an opportunity to show that they can play. And the Phillies had a need and they didn't look elsewhere. They had a triple a roster filled with minor leaguers and guys who had been in the majors up and down with other organizations. They didn't go to them like they had been in the past. Other than Yairo Munoz, they went with these young guys and gave them a shot and 
in my eyes, even with you know, take a, a pitcher like Plasmeyer who pitched twice in September, they all deserved it and they all proved that they can be there. So I think moving forward, these guys all have value somewhere, whether it's with this organization or not, but they gave them a chance to come through and they did. I think that's the biggest uh, thing we can point to Dombrowski and the whole minor league staff saying, hey, look, we have some guys here. Let's give them a shot. And they all worked out. You're somebody who's watched a lot of baseball in your life. You ever seen a baseball hit as far as Kyle Schwarber's the other night, 488 feet, the longest in Petco Park? He doesn't get cheated, does he? He swings, he swings hard, and when he makes a contact, it, it can go a long way. It's 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 pretty cool to watch. And again, if it if he was wasn't such a likable guy, and we don't when we knew how valuable he is in that clubhouse, if he wasn't all of those things, it wouldn't be so cool because still he's hitting two fifteen. He's a two fifteen leadoff hitter that strikes yeah. out a ton. That I still look. <laughs> Rob Thompson is much more qualified to be the manager than me. You and Jeff are probably more old school than I am, but I don't understand a leadoff hitter that does that type of numbers. Uh, I'm not, I'm really old school when it comes to that. I would much rather have a guy who puts the ball in play and finds a way on base for the big lumber to come up. But again, it works for this team. And again, we talked you talked about Stott earlier. He doesn't need to be a hero because they have so many guys in this lineup who can do just what um, you know we're talking about here. One swing changes the game especially when you're talking, you know, a, a low scoring game. Schwarber's the guy for that. Harper's been the guy for that. I mean, Harper, if you would have told me when he got called up after, back, went back up after his injury, uh, his two game uh, rehab stint with us. If you would have told me that he was going to hit four, whatever in the, in the postseason after you saw a month of nothing, I, I would have never thought that. But again, he knows that's what he's getting paid for. And that's all that matters to him is that, He's in the playoffs now, and I'm taking care of the team that I'm supposed to. And yet there's a lot of other guys in that lineup that 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 can do that too. We've seen a little bit of Castellanos. We've seen obviously seen Schwarber, and uh, Hoskins has had some big hits. Those are the guys who are supposed to do it. If Stott does anything else, that's a bonus, and that's the way they, they have to look at it. Even out of center field, they got that you know the big home run from Marsh. That's a huge bonus. Anything out of Marsh or Veerling is is at, uh, you know is icing on the cake because they have guys that they're paying to be big hitters in the postseason and they're coming through. Yeah. Well, the one thing they don't have is big hitters in the bullpen or at least didn't. <laughs> Sir Anthony Dominguez seems to have refound his form, which is, is great. And kind of what we kind of expect from him, he's back to that place, but Alvarado at the beginning of the season was horrible and they sent him to the minors and he has come back and he has become one of the best relievers in major league baseball. What happened to him down there? that he has come back and now been this go-to guy? Well, I mean, there's, al there's always a minor tweak to a mechanic or to a grip or to something, but I think for, for him, most of it has to be mental. The guy has stuff that's electric, and you have to go back to think, okay, why did the Rays give up on this guy? Throwing 100 miles an hour, and every pitch moves. There has to be something. So I think the Phillies tapped into what that something was, which was, look, when things get tough, you're going to you – know, every – Every back end of the bullpen guy is going to lose his control for a batter, maybe two, or make a mistake or two. But the bottom line is getting back on the horse and, and just realizing, hey, look, I'm in this position because I have the stuff to get these guys out. And I don't think he always had that confidence in himself when a batter or two went awry, when he, you know, he threw seven straight balls or whatever the case may be. You know, somebody's going to, somebody's going to run into a home run on a 100-mile-an-hour pitch if you leave it over the plate. But the bottom line is, it's how he reacted to those situations and things always kind of seem to snowball with him. And I just think that, you know, 
that time away and that time to kind of quiet things in his head and, and, and have, have the, the knowledge to know that the organization had the confidence in him that, you know, you're going to go back up. They're going to put you back in a situation and we'll see how you do. And I think he's kind of, he's taking, he's taking a big advantage of that. And again, there's some Brogdon and he still doesn't have that, that mental strength to say, Hey, look, okay. I just left one over the plate. They're going to, they whacked it. I've got to get the next guy. He still looks like he's kind of fighting to find himself um, and find that confidence uh, consistently. And I, I worry about him, but I think Alvarado's in a really good place. And again, the guy's stuff is electric. It's about time we saw this kind of performance from him. I wanted to ask off the field before I let Jeff go to the prediction. Uh, Dusty Wathen is drawing interest from potentially the Marlins or the Royals as a manager. Jeff has advocated Dusty being a manager at the major league level for many years on this radio show, going back to when we did the minor league show. Your thoughts on Dusty and his chances of finally getting a chance at the big league level as a manager? I hope he doesn't have to wait as long as Rob Thompson did. Um, I, I think he's, you know, I, I dealt with him daily for one year, uh, parts of several years, and I always thought he's got what it takes to be a manager at any level. Uh, I just like the way he runs the team. I like the way he runs the clubhouse. He's kind of some old school in there. Um, and I'm sure he's taken a lot from the managers, many managers that he's worked with since he's been um, third base coach with the Phillies, but his time's come. Um, I hope he gets a shot. Doesn't matter where it is. I think he'll, I think he'll do a good job. Um, and again, I, I think the players that he, he worked with a lot of uh, really good minor league players, a lot of good prospects, and he found a way to make sure that they played the game the right way that they prepare the right way. And that says a lot about a manager. Um, I th and again, there's a lot of ways to manage. It depends on a lot of things. Uh, we see Rob Thompson's, I mean, his low key approach is what the Phillies needed. Um, I personally would have rather Joe Madden be managing. And now that Rob has done such a great job, there's no chance Joe Madden's coming to Philly. But that being said, Rob Thompson has, you know, he earned the opportunity a long time ago. Um, and the fact that he's finally gotten a, a chance Again, we're we talked about these other uh, players that the Phillies have kind of not given a chance to in the past. That's kind of what's happening with Dusty. If he keeps coming up on the, you know number two on the list for the Marlins or the Royals or any of these teams, um, it'd be a shame because the guy the guy knows the game. The guy knows how to run a clubhouse, and I think he's deserved a shot. And I'm 100 with Jeff on this one. Well, we get we got three games in three days, NLCS games at Citizens Bank Park. If you have to make a prediction of what's going to happen over the next three games in this series, what's your prediction? The Phillies will win at least two of them, and the Phillies will win the series, no matter what happens in any of them. I, be I believe, and then this is going to come out maybe wrong for Phillies fans, but this postseason is everything <clears throat> about what's wrong with baseball. We play 162 games to eliminate 60%. The Phillies, by all means, underachieved in the playoffs they didn't have a great september yet here they are in the playoffs getting hot at the right time they're healthy which a lot of the teams are not and things are kind of falling in place i'm a, i'm a, the old school guy like one wild card three division champs that's eight teams that's plenty but the phillies have taken advantage of the situation they got healthy they got guys you know finding their stride we talked about alvarado i mean he's, one, he's just one of several castellanos had a you know probably a forgettable regular season and they're just putting it together at the right time i the thing is just everything is just kind of falling into place for them and wow. i'm sure major league baseball is praying from a, a marketing standpoint that the phillies make the world series because oh. the world series you know would be a probably be a nightmare again 
for a lot of reasons, but I, I think they're they're kind of hoping the Phillies come through too. But I, I really believe that 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 this is it's kind of been like the perfect storm for them, and I think they're going to win the series. They're definitely playing praying for some major market teams. Tom House, Nick, thank you for always giving us a few minutes. Enjoy watching the games this weekend, and go Phils. Appreciate it, guys. Good to see you. Jeff, you know, we, we talk about what the Phillies are doing on the other side of the bracket. The Yankees are down 2-0 against the Astros. They've had 17 strikeouts in game one, 11 in game two. I guess that's the new baseball. You just swing for the fences, no contact. Uh, this kind of stuff you don't like, right? Well, that's the Bronx Bombers, but they're not bombing right now. Are, are you watching the playoffs like me with every hit that goes into the shift going, that won't happen next year because they won't have something? You're asking me a question you know the answer to because we keep texting about it. I mean, yeah. I, there, there have literally been plays where I'm going, that, next year, that's a hit. Could play by Cronensworth to to stop the ball basically out in like the outfield from second base definitely wouldn't have happened. I was sitting at one of the NLDS games. I was sitting next to a guy and I said next. I I actually said this to him. I said next year that's not a hit. And he goes why? And I explained the shift to him and he went ballistic. And he's like that's not right. They should learn how to hit the to, you know. <laughs> I'm I'm like come on you know. You're like I need to find somebody else to say. <laughs> <laughs> I will say for all that you guys don't like the wild card, the way that the makeup is, they had 64% increase in viewership. They're up 21% for the division series. And in the brackets that they want to see young growth, 18 to 34, they're up 22%, 17 and younger up there, they're up 9%. So is that is that a reflection of the teams that are in it? Or do you think it's a reflection of the actual way that they have set up this playoff? To be honest, I have absolutely no clue. There you go. I re- I'm not even going to try. So to, it like, doesn't mean anything. anything. So you, you just stated it. Okay, so the ratings are up. But you don't know why the ratings are up. Let, the Yankees are in it. it the Phillies are in it. The Dodgers the were in it. won't be up if the Padres are in it. That's not a major market that we'll watch. They've already got the Dodgers gone. They've got the Mets gone. They want to have a major market in that final. We have three minutes left. I didn't get to ask you. Um, the owners' meetings... Jim Ursay says Daniel Snyder has to go. Jerry Jones and Bob Kraft getting into it over Roger Goodell's compensation. Jeff, this is a dream week for you and the owners. And they need to have they need to have a reality show of the owners. Yes, they all live that, in a that, house that, together. They absolutely, exactly. They need a reality show. They need full twenty four hour access to all. They of could these sell guys it to because Amazon this is the most dis- Apple as a reality show for a couple billion dollars. Add to it's the, the most line. dysfunctional group of individuals. It is. It certainly is. And which is which is why I mean we've been we've been talking about this for years about how the NFL only operates as a pro a, a reactive instead of proactive league. They can't even deal with each other in a, in a proactive way. I will say this: Jim Ursay is not the perfect messenger for the Dan Snyder <laughs> must go. Yeah, campaign. but if but if he's there the were one, no other owners speaking up to say Jim Ursay is wrong. Nobody came out other than Dan Snyder with his little letter on the commander letterhead that was like, oh, I've been wrong, blah, 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 blah. Nobody else defended him. There was silence. Well, let me ask you a question. They had a meeting. Do you not think that at some point, either with a wink and or nod or more a more specific statement that Jim Irsay didn't tell them, I'm going to go out and say this. Oh, and that basically, they said, OK, Jim, you go you lead the charge. He's actually the perfect person to take the slings and arrows because he's already taken them before. So it's totally fine. Look, at the same time, 
You've got the Raiders trying to keep their emails from coming out public. You've got Washington still fighting to have what happened with Snyder come out. You got Miami with their ownership situation. Like the owners are a mess in the NFL right now. Just an yeah. absolute yeah. mess. And that's separate from the concussion issues and product on the field. You've got uh, Tua returning this week. There will be a lot of scrutiny on what happens there. And I think you've seen more scrutiny in the last two weeks since the Tua hit on concussions and taking players out and holding them out. I, I, there was an Indianapolis player who had been out for two weeks, was out with a concussion, cleared protocol, but is being held out this week to have another week. So I don't know if that's a trend that's going to continue, but it's something you've seen. If if the Dolphins game was on in this market, would you want to watch it this week? I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't. I mean, look, it took me years to get over the CTE stuff or at, le at least at least accept it and say that I still want to watch it after Dr. Amalo explained everything to us. Seeing what's happened to Tua in the last two games that he has played, I just don't want to, I don't want to see him again because, because I am so fearful that every hit something horrible is going to happen to him. Well, and you know, you hear him come out it was the first time he really talked publicly about it, saying he lost consciousness. He remembers being in the ambulance. You know, when you hear them tell, when the did he lose consciousness on the field? I believe. Okay. And, and which game? The second game, not the first, okay. game. the second concussion. I don't think he really discussed the first concussion very much, but I think. Yeah. But doesn't that make you question even more how the Dolphins head coach said the things that he said? It does. That's going to be the last word. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. and We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. They're back Tuesday nights at 7. Join Dr. Bruce Grossinger, Spencer Grossinger, Dr.